Your On The Mark podcast is loading now. The On The Mark podcast is sponsored by the Sunbury Motor Company, family-owned dealership since 1915, 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia on Routes 11 and 15 Hummel's Wharf. News Radio 1070 WKOK presents On The Mark. It's a chance to voice your opinion on the events that affect life in the Susquehanna Valley. Call 1-800-795-9565 or email onthemark at wkok.com. Now, here are your hosts for On The Mark, Mark Lawrence and Joe McGranahan. Greetings. Welcome aboard WKOK's live telephone talk show, On The Mark. I'm Mark Lawrence. Joe and McGranahan again, you is here. Very the intro. I'm going to work with you, Mark. I'm going to consult you and make you a better person. On the Mark is sponsored by the Sunbury Motor Company. Check them out at sunburymotors.com. No comment, huh? Well, I can't wait to be a better person. This is a long, long, Broadcaster. long, long, long over. You're already a wonderful person. Oh, yeah. All right. right. Here's your 20 buckaroonies. And you're strikingly handsome, too, may I add. Thank Does you. That, I won't be here for the first week in July. We're on vacation, so I want to get that out of get the way Get that now. out of the way. Once yep. a month, you okay. have to say that. Otherwise, by the contract. your stipend doesn't go out. We're glad to say we have a fabulous guest to start out the program. Laura Putnam is on the line from the University of Pittsburgh. She's one of their uh, UCIS, University Center for International Studies Research Professors, a professor in the Department of History, and has been studying grassroots movements, uh, not just in Pennsylvania, but really around the world. And uh, in the U.S. has had lots to watch. We've watched her study and talk about the Black Lives Movement around the country, just to incredible upswelling of uh, support in the whole U.S. yesterday, probably the biggest grassroots uh, series. And of, a lot of controversy, uh, too. I mean, protests. making it sound like it's all peaches and cream, but it isn't. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you <laughs> focus on the negative, I focus on the positive. So uh, that's that. And then, of course, uh, when the riot or the attack on the Capitol happened this year, uh, she was uh, widely called upon for analysis there. So, Laura, thank you so much for calling back to WKOK. I'm delighted to be here. I really do appreciate that. Well, maybe that. you won't be by the time we're done with you. By the time he's done <laughs> with you. By the time he's done oh, we're harmless. You. Let's qualify that. Okay, well, let's start out with January 6th, the attack on the U.S. Capitol. Individuals who were participating in a protest, uh, some of whom knew they were going to try to stir up uh, their version of good trouble. Uh, what's your take as you review that? What happened, in your opinion? Well, one thing that was really striking, even in the lead-up to January 6th, is how much um, disinformation and distorted information was really circulating in an accelerating way last year on social media, um, in ways that I think really distorted people's understanding of what was happening and and gave people, um, you know, folks, uh, who were, let's say, supporters of President Trump, gave some people reason to believe that they were facing not just, you know, losing an election, which is something that can happen in a democracy. In fact, it's ha- something that has to happen in a democracy. People need to vote, and, you know, that's the way that we decide on our collective, you know, next steps politically. Um, but there was a lot of disinformation circulating that made people believe that they couldn't trust uh, the results, the end that there were, you know, images of. Antifa and associating, you know, we were just talking about Black Lives Matter. There was a lot of disinformation associating uh, Black Lives Matter peaceful protests with images of, you know, cities burning and and things that made people fear 
um, made some people fear that they and their communities face a sort of deadly risk um, from the possibility of, of a, a change in the party in power. And I think in the big picture, that's what drove uh, a small number of people to uh, you know, engage in the violence that we saw on January 6th. What about the larger number of people? Who did nothing. <laughs> well, just waited outside, you mean? I mean, it, it's not that highly unusual, is it, Doctor, to have a, a, one group of people feel very strongly about something, another group of people feel somewhat ambivalent about it, and, you know, not everybody that went to the Capitol that day was intent on rioting. And if it was an insurrection, it was certainly poorly planned because they were not armed. The only person that got shot was shot by one of the Capitol police officers. Yeah, I think what we can agree on is that our, you know, our democracy is has with with its, you know, flaws and and awkwardness has done pretty well in in navigating and uh, having rules in place and structures in place that allow people to work through different ideas about what should be done, but and, and you know, I may have one diagnosis of what's causing unhappiness in our country, you have a different idea about what would help things work better. We go out, we make our case voters vote. Um but, but what becomes really problematic and where I think we're running into again and again, you know, serious new kinds of challenges collectively is that social media especially can amplify not just different ideas about what should happen, but really divergent ideas about what is happening. And that especially was true during lockdown when everyone, so many people were, you know, not, you know, out there seeing their neighbors, their coworkers. We were, more of us were seeing more of what was happening you know, nationally through a screen, through through a, through a device in our hands or through Facebook. Um, and th- so there were sort of fewer reality checks in that sense. And, and people, you know, were hearing such increasingly different and divergent things about even the basic facts of, like, what is happening in this country, what's happening around me, um, that, that it wasn't just about a different prescription for where we should go. There were very different perceptions of what was even happening. Well, take a look back in our history. Um, I don't know whether you've read Tracy Campbell's great book, Deliver the Vote. It's a few years old now. He actually Uh talked about all of the instances of voter fraud in this country. So it's not like the Republicans came up with something that was completely new and unique. I mean, there has been a long history of voter fraud in this country. And isn't it reasonable to want to address that, to find out whether or not any election was reasonably conducted and was fair and honest? I mean, we all have a vested interest in that, don't we? You know, I I mean, I've got to say, I think that the, the every serious uh, political scholar and legal scholar who's done a nonpartisan assessment of, uh, of voter fraud has found the numbers to be vanishingly small. So I guess I'm going to have to very gently just push back on the assumption that there is a widespread pattern of voter fraud. That's just not what nonpartisan um, academics have found. I like to have say lately that our republic is, in, well, I don't like to say it, but I, I feel compelled to say that our republic is in trouble and this abyss that we're in, this political divide, is uh, insurmountable. Uh, what's your view on this? You've studied uh, what uh, has been a sort of grassroots division among people as part of your academic career. Where are we in some sort of a timeline and how bad is it now? You know, I think we see different forces pushing. We see some encouraging forces that are going to help our democracy be stronger and help us listen to our neighbors and understand their perspectives. And we see other forces, and as I was just describing, the sort of spread of social media and the ways that disinformation can can spread much faster on social media than it could in a world where we just 
you know, chat with each other in the grocery line or with friends at church and so on. So those, that, that spread of disinformation is, is really, I think, has become quite damaging for our ability to solve our, uh, to even understand what our collective differences are, because we tend to create sort of boogeymen about the folks on the other side. But then there's some, there's some encouraging trends. So I'll point you, there was a recent academic study, for instance, by uh, two scholars, um, Josh Cal and David Brookman, who found that when political activists go out and do, you know, door knocking to pr- try to persuade someone for their candidate, but they use a technique uh, called deep canvassing, which is really focused on, you know, telling stories and listening to stories, asking people about their, their experiences, and then explaining why they are, you know, choosing to support the candidate or issue that they're choosing to support. At the end of the day, people, the people who are doing the canvassing, doing the outreach, end up with more positive impressions, more um, positive feelings towards partisans of the other party. So, so it's not just that they're out there and, you know, successfully convincing people, they're also actually be developing more sympathy for the perspective of folks on the other side. And I think that really speaks to how person-to-person communication can, even when we're talking about political issues that really divide us, person-to-person communication can be a, a source of, of understanding and respect that can sort of carry us through some difficult conversations. So what about social media? What's its responsibility? You know, are they going to be the arbiters of what is truth and what is not truth? Are we going to edit and keep off of social media anybody whose opinions we disagree with or whose opinions we consider to be outrageous? You block them. Yeah, I think <laughs> you're, you're putting your finger on a, on a really challenging point, which is that... Um, you know, it used to be that information flowed through public spaces, and they were either public in the sense of, you know, sort of, um, uh, you know, community-run spaces, like there would be, um, like, you know, the local government would uh, have uh, uh, published in the newspaper uh, information about when public meetings were going to be held. But when we see the collapse of local newspapers, um, increasingly local governments rely on things like, well, posting on Facebook about when meetings are going to be held. But, of course, Facebook is a private company. So we have, we have an infrastructure which is owned by private companies, but we don't have the, you know, the legal rules, the political rules for making sure that, those, that the private companies that control increasing amounts of our sort of public sphere are, are functioning in ways that, that feel transparent, that feel reliable, and that are democratically accountable. So I, complete, I think you know, folks across the political spectrum disagree about the specifics, but really agree that social media and how to, how to manage a democracy in a world in which a lot of social media is privately owned and, and extremely powerful, we agree that that's a dilemma. Right. We agree on the problem, but what's the solution? Yeah, you know, I think the there are there are experiments out there that um, that try to uh, create alternatives to some of the for-profit large-scale public media, and that have uh, rules about moderators and that train you know, moderators in ways that are more um, to, to be accountable and to be sort of transparent about decisions that are being made. So that because there's always going to have to be you know some decisions made about what can circulate on you know social media. None of us would want a world in which, let's say, God forbid, child pornography just spreads everywhere in social media and no one stops it. So we, we agree that there needs to be, a, or, you know, targeted hate speech calling for, um, you know, individual people to be harassed. So yeah, I think lots of people agree that there, need to be, there needs to be moderation 
in the sense of, you know, active moderators on social media. And the question is, how do we train, how do we support people in, in doing that moderation so that, again, so that folks are confident that there's some, that there's fairness and that there's transparency and that there's accountability to the needs of our democracy. Let me ask you one more question as a follow-up. What's the difference, then, in your view, between a moderator and a censor? So, the, I mean, the, if you're asking who, who should be, so a censor is someone who decides what should not be seen. Um, a moderator is someone who's participating in, in a process of decision-making that supports the the needs of the collective um, and you know I think the it's it's a as a historian I can tell you that accusations of censorship on all sides is sort of a constant in political history you know everyone feels like their voice isn't being amplified like it should everyone feels like their voice you know should be heard more than it is so I think you know um, if we can move beyond these abstract labels and say okay concretely what would what would help you feel like your your local Facebook group is functioning in a way that's that's um, you know that's that's sharing information is accountable to the community. So and we can think about what's the process that would support the folks who are in the challenging position of trying to help that collective work better. If we think about if we think about small time newspaper editors, a, you know, a generation ago. They also were making decisions about what showed up in the pages of their paper, and they didn't, and what didn't. So you could, I suppose, if you wanted to, you could say, oh, those were censors. But those were folks who were embedded in their communities, responsible to a range of voices in their communities, had a long-term stake in the well-being of their communities. And so folks felt like the overall the process allowed for voice and allowed for different opinions to be shared. Give us some sort of a sense now that that year has ended last year when we had a lot of Black Lives Matters protests uh, nationwide. Give us some sort of sense of the scope of that. I mean, I had never seen anything that unprecedented where uh, inter you know gatherings at intersections popped up in every town and every town and every park. Uh, so give us some sort of a sense of, of how big a deal that was, and then did we make any racial progress from it? Two two different questions. Sure. So there were, you know, nationwide over 12,000 individual uh, uh, protests or events or solidarity events around racial justice last summer. That's an extraordinarily high number. Um, if we look at the sort of long-term history of protests in the United States, that's remarkable. If we bring it down to the level of Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania there were over 230 different communities saw racial justice protests organized and held last summer, and that is about 10 times as many communities as ever held a women's march, for instance. And it's about 10 times as many communities as were ever home to a Tea Party protest. So it's sort of bigger than the precedents on the left. It's bigger than the precedents on the right. And importantly, these were locally organized protests uh, and solidarity uh, events and vigils in, you know, organized by local folks almost almost everywhere organized by local teenagers, folks who were either in, like, towards the end of high school or had just graduated, um, who just, you know, came together and said, in our small town, because, you know, think, 230 different communities in Pennsylvania, we're getting down to really small towns there, right? Or, or we're getting up to really small towns, you can think of it that way, but we're, we're talking about some communities with a few thousand folks. Um, and so that was, it was really unprecedented for that range of, of communities rural and urban and suburban alike 
to have young folks together um, saying, similarly stepping forward to say, we want to talk about racial justice. All right, and then progress made is, uh, is the follow-up there. In terms of our you know, racial progress, did, did we march forward? You know, I've talked to some of the students involved, and they they feel like it. They it those were challenging events. In, in some places, there were counter protesters, sometimes counter protesters who had heard misinformation about you know plans for violence or about busloads of Antifa. There were rumors, false rumors, in lots of different places. So, so the kids who organized these protests often were, were scared, and some faced death threats. But then they, again and again, they say it was an amazing experience. They said, we never imagined that there would be so much, that I would feel so much love for my community, that, I, that people would come out and support us. You know, we thought maybe there would be 20 or 30 people. There were 100 people there. Um, so, so in terms of shaping the, like, in activism of these students and in terms of giving communities a chance to see folks coming together, I think there was, there was real, you know, positive impact. What I think has become conflictive, you know, if you look at then what happens next, in lots of places, um, you know, some local students might have you know, included in the, in, the, in the context of the protest or vigil, you know, folks said, you know, are, are, are schools doing enough to teach about the diverse history of the United States? Are we doing enough to make sure that kids of color in our schools are not, you know, facing um, uh, you know, name calling or or um, you know negative stereotypes being pushed. Are we doing enough so that you know queer kids are being supported in school? And but that and so there have in a lot of different places, you know, young people and their parents said, let's start making sure that we're doing that that our school district is encompassing um, uh, you know thoughtful practices around diversity. And in some places, other folks have, you know, other local parents have heard that and have heard it in a context in which they're hearing a lot from national media about critical race theory, a whole nother can of worms. And, and so that's become conflictive. Like, what's get, people are not sure about what's being taught in their schools. They're hearing, again, rumors coming on social media and elsewhere that make them concerned. And so there have been some difficult conversations in local school districts. Um, but, you know, difficult conversations are always going to be necessary in a democracy. So I don't know that that's, that's in some sense, that's part of the evidence of, uh, of movement forwards towards a greater range of voices being involved, um, is that in some places those conversations right now are pretty difficult. Okay, we'll let Joe ask one question in a moment. I'll have uh, my last question now. Uh, the ongoing rest in Oregon and in Portland in particular, still chaos there, still deep, deep conflicts from uh, uprisings that began uh, in the spring a year ago. Uh, from your viewpoint, what's happening there? You know, I, I mean, I should first say I'm not an expert in Portland, and I have not been out there, and I have not talked firsthand to people. What I see in the reporting is that it's probably kind of a mistake to, to think about what the violence that's happening there now and the conflict um, uh, with, you know, periodic vandalism and so on as being a continuation of the, you know, protests that began there last summer, because at this point, it seems like there's a quite small number of, um, of, uh, of activists or a quite small number of people who are organizing Periodic, what they're calling direct actions that include sometimes vandalism and that, you know, understandably get a, a public safety response. And 
they are being called out by, for instance, local black organizers who've been focused on, you know, um, police accountability and have been focused on racial justice who are saying, you know, if you're, if you're damaging the local Boys and Girls Clubs, you are not being, you're not an ally, you're not part of what we're trying to do here. Um, so I don't, I don't think it quite makes sense to see sort of a continuity there um, when a lot of the folks who were uh, in the lead in, uh, you know, a, a year ago in calling for, again, police accountability, racial justice um, in, in, in Portland in particular, they're now saying, you know, we, we have a process of dialogue going on and there, there are political things that we're advocating for, but, you know, vandalism uh, of, of our city and of our own communities is not what any of us um, are advocating or are enacting or, or want to see happening. Just a moment left, but anything important you'd like to add related to these topics that we didn't ask about that uh, really bears uh, verbalizing, if, if you wish? You know, just a, I, I think I'll, I'll end with maybe where uh, an, an emphasis on this point that political activism, if it happens face-to-face, and especially if it happens in the context of a, an ongoing relationship, can be really healthy even when people have different views. Whereas, you know, political arguments that happen over social media can spiral into really negative uh, dynamics in which people end up with less sympathy and less understanding and less shared basis in reality, less shared basis in facts. So an encouragement to all of your listeners to, to really have those political conversations, to step forward and join a group and advocate for what they believe in. But the more of that can, that can happen in the real world and the less of it that can happen on social media, the happier they'll be. All right. Well, to be continued. Thank you so much for your insights and your information. You have an open mic here anytime. If you're ever in this part of the state, uh, the middle portion of Pennsylvania, please stop by. We'd love to have you back in studio, Laura. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's wonderful talking. Very much appreciated. That's Dr. Laura Putnam uh, from the University of Pittsburgh, a research professor in the Department of History, of course, studying global glass, grassroots movements, but also uh, uh, having uh, this is her time in Pennsylvania and in the nation, watching grassroots organizations uh, step up. We'll be back after some important messages here on uh, WDKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. 
Welcome back. Are you okay, Joe? Yes, I'm hanging in there. Joe's not enjoying liberal professors anymore. They're off his Christmas card list now for good. <laughs> no, I, I right. just think she has a definite left-leaning perspective uh, on everything, and she makes it all sound like so so wonderful that all these kids got out in the street and everybody loved them. She ignores the rioting and the looting and the social problems that were created in other communities. Well, we talked about January 6th for about five no, minutes. No, I wasn't there. talking about January 6th. I was talking about places like Portland and other places where there were riots after George Floyd. You know, it's it's tough. I agree with her that it's tough. But, you know, I asked her the question. She said that there needs to be moderators on social media. And I said, what's the difference between a moderator and a censor? Now, I know what the difference is, but I was trying to get from her what she saw as how that would operate. And that's not the way she answered my question. She answered it by telling me what her a censor is and what a moderator is. Mm-hmm. I know the difference. Mm-hmm. But I don't understand how a moderator is going to change things on social media because what do they do? They just sit there. She's talking about all these groups. Well, not everybody who's on social media belongs to a group. They just have their groups of friends. Are we going to be compelled to form groups where we have a moderator? So do we need a moderator for every private business in the U.S. to monitor no, what they're doing and think, say, okay, you can do so. this, you can't do that, your don't, clients can't I do I do this. not believe that we need such a, f- a creature. Oh, okay. I believe in for free sure. speech. And if it's unfettered and it's ugly, that's too bad, but it's free speech. So if I have this right, you believe in free speech as long as there's a moderator and a censor involved screening it. I don't believe in either of those. Okay, but you want social media curtailed. All right, to be continued, folks, this is WKOK Sunday. News Radio 1070 WKOK presents On the Mark. It's a chance to voice your opinion on the events that affect life in the Susquehanna Valley. Call 1-800-795-9565 or email onthemark at wkok.com. Now, here are your hosts for On the Mark. Mark Lawrence and Joe McGranahan. Greetings. Welcome on board. WKOK's live telephone talk show on the mark. I'm Mark Lawrence. Mr. Joe, ultra-conservative, not a natural-born listener, is directly across from me. But he is here to let you know that, uh, well... Facebook should be regulated heavily or something like that. I don't know. Right. All right. So Joe is here, though. He's a Hall of Fame broadcaster, former COO and CEO of the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation and mayor of Shemoka Dam and in charge of global volcanic reaction for Pima. So he is uh, quite knowledgeable in that area. And I'm Mark Lawrence, subpar host of the show. I play liberal on the radio, but very glad to hear all points of view at all times. And today is that time. Call us. Our toll-free line is open. Call us 1-800-795-9565. Joe says he didn't like the liberal perspectives of Dr. Putnam. No, I didn't say he didn't like them. Uh, she's certainly entitled to her opinion. I just disagree with a lot of what she said. All right, so he'll get a chance to... I'm sure she disagrees with what I had to say. El- so. <laughs> elaborate as we continue. 1-800-795-9565. We would love to hear from you. Today's the day. Call us. If you're yelling at the radio, please dial 1-800-795-9565 and uh, give us a and we'll put your opinion on the radio. On the Mark is sponsored by the Sunbury Motor Company. Do please check them out at sunburymotors.com. You can email us at onthemark at wkok.com, as one individual has done. And uh, we would just uh, love to hear from you today. 1-800-795-9565 is our telephone number. Now, you can text us at 70236, include the keyword OTM, and again, email us at onthemark at wkok.com. 
WKOK.com. We do have some news headlines. Stormy weather led to the postponement of a flag retirement and dedication ceremony at the American Legion Post 44 in North Hamilton recently. Those activities are now scheduled for the 4th of July. According to American Legion spokesman, the ceremonies will be held 6 p.m. Sunday, July 4th. The flag retirement ceremony will include the dedication of a new permanent facility for the ceremonies and flag burning. Dick Simpson of the Post 44 uh, says leaders will conduct a ceremony including the playing of taps, leading a prayer, and a 21-gun salute. Are you happy now? I like 21 guns. <laughs> Not a firing squad. Uh, the burning of worn American flags takes place in a ceremony each year at Post 44. And this year, they'll dedicate a new facility built by a local scout. Uh, Simpson says that Cooper Roush of uh, Sunbury completed the project for an Eagle Scout Award. The record high heat around here and the record high heat in the Pacific Northwest. Is it a sign of climate change? Joe Lundberg, AccuWeather senior expert and meteorologist, says no way. I just think that right now we're seeing a very unusual pattern across most of the northern hemisphere where there's a lot of extremes. Normally you'd see the jet stream kind of undulating north to south in gentle little perturbations, if you will. But right now there's a big upper level trough that's in the Aleutian, so there's a pocket of very cold air there. And that is uh, Joe Lundberg. You can hear more of his remarks at uh, WKOK.com. The Pennsylvania Capitol Star is reporting a Republican congressman from central Pennsylvania is facing mounting backlash over remarks he made during a speech to conservative activists. When he compared Democrats to Nazis, he urged his audience to go fight them. Quote, our country and our Constitution is under attack. Uh, U.S. Representative Scott Perry of the 10th uh, District uh, said he's a member of the ultra-conservative Freedom caucus told an audience of the Pennsylvania Leadership Conference earlier this month, quote, it's not the loyal opposition, it's just the opposition, unquote. He said, referring to congressional Democrats, they want to destroy the country that you grew up in, they want to destroy the country the founders made, you know in your heart uh, that that's the answer. Countering imaginary critics uh, that uh, not all Democrats shared such goal, Perry drew an analogy to Nazi Germany, which all Germans may not have belonged to the Nazi party. But what happened across Germany, that's what's important. What were those policies? What was the leadership? He's taken some heat for that. Oh, I would say well-deserved heat. Okay. <laughs> and finally, the U.S. House Tuesday approved legislation to remove statues of Confederate officials from the U.S. Capitol. What? You didn't hear this? Yes, I did. Okay. <laughs> um, and now you lost my place here. Oh, yeah. To remove statues of Confederate officials from, from the U.S. Capitol, as well as a bust of Chief Justice Roger B. Taney. Taney. Taney, who wrote the U.S. Supreme Court infamous Dred Scott decision in 1857 that ruled black people were not entitled to citizenship. Legislation passed on a vote of 285 to 120. 67 Republicans joined all Democrats in voting in favor of the bill. U.S. Congressman Fred Keller voted no, as Democrats now hold the majority in the upper chamber will likely be taken up for a vote about whether a sufficient number of Republican senators will get on board is unclear. Well, you know, it's terrible. You know, when, when it comes to things in parks and such, I, I tend to disagree with taking them down. But I can understand in the United States Capitol why you would not want people who were in active revolt against the United States being honored there. But if you know how, you know how statues get there, don't you? Each state is permitted to have two statues in Statuary Hall. So the, um, I guess the southern states sent Confederate people there, and they didn't throw them out. Now they're talking about throwing them out. Tanny, on the other hand, is a 
tougher one. I mean, he wasn't a he was a chief justice of the United States Supreme Court. So it's hard to throw him out just because he wrote a terrible decision. You know, really, it was a terrible decision. And it's a hall where you are at liberty to make references to history, no worse well, than all. That's the whole point of it, yeah. Okay. okay. So you, I guess, uh, as you have often said, if some of these statues that may have been taken down in the past two years, uh, proper context could be added, and that would supplement that particular display. I don't know. Statuary Hall was meant to honor United States heroes. I don't think that Jefferson Davis can really be called a United States hero. Mm -hmm. You know, should he be vilified and demonized? No, not at this point in our history. Uh, he fought for what he believed in, and I think a monument to him has a place, but not in the United States Capitol. What about it changed the name of the hall then? So, uh, the Hall of Villains? Hall, uh, well, <laughs> to, uh, Heroes and Villains. Sure, that's a great I was going to say Traitors, but that's a little strong. <laughs> the Hall of Traitors. Okay. How about the Hall of Heroes and Villains? Um, I don't think just that change would fly. the name and then it suddenly no. Fits. I, I just I think that, that that is logical to say that the people who are honored in the United States Capitol should have been people who have contributed mightily to the defense or the sustaining of the republic, not to people who attempted to overthrow it. You know, do I want them? I understand that the the ones that are taken down that were put there by the states are going to be given back to the states. Mm -hmm. The ones uh, the ones like Tanny and who and others. Uh, will be put in storage. Okay. Um, couldn't they find some place for them? <laughs> you know, wouldn't wouldn't well, a statue? Well, they found some place. Storage. <laughs> as a former <laughs> chief justice, wouldn't it make sense to put his statue in the Supreme Court building, for example? Why is it in the Capitol? Well, because, <laughs> because I guess somebody the put hall it is. there, right? That's where the Hall of Villains that's is where held. Statuary Hall, is it? All right. We'll take callers now, 1-800-795-9565. We're glad to say that uh, we started out the program with a good professor from the University of Pittsburgh, uh, Laura Putnam, uh, talking about the grassroots movements. Uh, I mean, everything from the Tea Party, uh, unionization in western Pennsylvania, grassroots protests last year during Black Lives Matters, uh, which uh, Joe often makes makes reference to were are tainted in his view by uh, the occasional vandalism and or uh, problem arrests or whatever happened to be that occurred at them I on the other hand view as them as just a, a incredibly tremendous massive grassroots uh, support uh, for the black community and for progress in this nation well aware of the asterisk that Joe's making reference to so we can talk about that as we close the program yesterday Gwen Barry was a uh, Mentioned the individual who, during the Olympic trials over the weekend, turned her back to the flag and the Star-Spangled Banner as part of her support for her community and uh, that uh, silent protest that we've seen many people do around the country and in, well around the world, really, for various reasons. So, did you hear that she's being sponsored by Color of Change, which is a left-wing group that advocates for defunding the police? And you know what's amazing to me? The Democrats now are trying to make it sound like the Republicans defunded the police by not supporting Joe Biden's bill that he never touted as having $335 million or billion dollars for police funding. Now, all of a sudden, they're trying to make it sound like the Republicans are trying to defund the police. That is so ridiculous. Well, it hope, isn't even funny. Let's hope everybody hears all sides of these important topics. One of our listeners uh, sent us a note about Professor Putnam. Go ahead, Joe. Said Professor Putnam was not having any of that mansplaining. All right. So she <laughs> shut you down. Well, all right. Well, whatever you want to think. All right. And you're a big fan of Tucker Carlson. As everyone knows, 
leftists hate American military. Recently, a prominent left-wing media figure attacked General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, declaring he's not just a pig, he's stupid. Actually, this was said by Tucker Carlson last night. Signed, John. Says one of our good listeners. 1-800-795-9565. We're really talking about some of the big issues of the day. Gwen Berry turns her back on the flag. That's a form of free speech that always causes ripples when uh, we hear it and see it in uh, the U.S. or, in this case, around the world. Uh, Dr. Putnam talking about uh, uprisings of uh, people on January 6th and throughout last year. So where people feel strongly about something. Joe has always said that there is no call for which he would protest or demonstrate, but most other people have something that they feel strongly about. I know I do, and I would be perfectly willing to talk about Never that. Never said it, and we have one call coming in and one on the line. 1-800-795-9565. Dan, you're on the mark. Thanks for calling in. Hey, good morning, guys. Why well, I'm not going to step on any of you host toes this morning, but I am going to say this. Back in March... On, on the mark, we had an incident with free speech. And, you know, after the dust settled, some of your callers said, I'm glad you got rid of them, what you guys called religious zealots. But yet none of us, not a one of us so-called religious zealots, called for any of your most liberal callers to be censored. In fact, I encourage them to call. We have no debate. If, if people like me, people like what you call religious zealots, aren't allowed to speak, you, you're canceling the debate, and there is no debate. There's no, then there's no debate possible about religion that's going to advance anything here today or on our program. I'm sorry, but that's, it's not, and we're not censoring you. You're here talking. We te- we're just telling you what 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 topics we're not going to discuss on a daily basis. Because that's the answer to answer if I ever heard it. Well, that's that's, that's all right. It's our it's a program that we we set up for the community, and we decide what's top, what's what's proper, and what's not. We wouldn't allow somebody to call in and talk about their sex life on the air. That's why it's called nearly open phones, phones right? <laughs> so that, it's just a limiting of topics. That's compare apples and oranges. I'm not, and I don't want to hear about someone's sex life either, but. Well, maybe they don't want to hear about your religious life. Did you consider that? Right. I don't... I'm just asking. I mean, what makes you think that they care about that? Well, what makes me think... Why would I care about their... If I was such a bigot, why would I care about their liberal-leaning views? And I'm the guy that said, I appreciate every view that you put on here. And you do talk about sex a lot with the new jet, with <laughs> oh. transgender. Oh, okay. And all that—that's talking about sex. But that's and not someone's sex you life. Not to talk about that's it. not their. We're not discussing people's personal sex lives or their personal religious. <laughs> really, we don't know anything. We don't know anything about graphic, it. But anyway, I never ask you not to. And none of us zealots. We never ask you not to have any topic on that program. Well, people didn't ask us. We encourage open discussion, and I'm for open discussion. 
All right, Whatever Dan. it is. Dan, uh, nobody asked us to cut off the zealots. You may have heard people said they were glad that we did, yeah. and that's fine. But nobody yeah, asked us to. We weren't responding, responding to but some I, requests. I we're just, we're just adhering to the program. See, now you won't let me speak, so I think you're the censor. So uh, we're not talking about religion. Zealots don't have an open mic here any time. Sorry. Dan, sorry. All right, we are talking about issues of the day, Black Lives Matter, some ongoing protests in Portland, Oregon, that are just as uh, out of control and can be that chaos uh, by individuals there, leading to broad repercussions related to police and uh, policing, and, and the nation is watching that. You know, it goes back to the question I asked Dr. Putnam about the difference between, you know, how social media would work. But let's talk about social media and whether or not it should be free speech or open speech, completely open, or whether or not it should have some limits. Be clear what you would like. What I see happening is that people who have alternate points of view, I mean, let, let's face it, our listeners here don't have a choice. I mean, they either turn on the radio or turn it off. Our job is to attract as many people as possible to the program. Obviously, because the way commercial broadcasting works, to hear our sponsor's message and, uh, you know, and we hopefully entertain them or provide them something thought-provoking. Or a nearly open mic. A nearly open mic. But, you know, but they could always turn, if their alternative is to turn it off, which runs counter to what our goal is. Social media, on the other hand, if you choose to go on there and, and personally talk about your religion, how you feel, who you think's going to hell... I don't have to even look at you. I can unfriend you. I don't even have to consider you, you know. But that's not the case on a public broadcasting station where we are catering to thousands of people, thousands upon thousands of people who maybe find it offensive when they're told that their religion is, quote, the great whore or you're going to hell if you so don't believe what I believe. social media should be, like Facebook should be open to anybody right. as long as they're not advocating violence or, you know, anything that's... Really uh, illegal. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> but like if, I, if I have a hateful opinion of uh, someone in the, LGB, or the LGBTQA plus community, I should be allowed to express that. And if they ha find me offensive, they should be allowed to express that. But yet that would not be a topic that would be good on the radio because, first of all, we have FCC rules and regulations to consider. We have a community obligation to be fair and balanced, and, and we are, you know, here. We do that. We don't we don't tell people. Even people who call in, we've had people calling on the air and curse that we've had to cut off. We've had people that we've stopped talking about a particular topic for a given day because they said something that was inappropriate. But we don't tell them they can't call back. 1-800-795-9565. Everyone is welcome to call for the first time or to call back right now. Lance is waiting. He's going to be on the radio shortly. 1-800-795-9565. We have some open lines. We have one email related to riots and looting, question mark. So we'll read that on the radio. Text basket is empty. Send that to 70236 with the keyword OTM. We'd love to hear from you. And the question we're really trying to answer today is is in an open marketplace of ideas, will we ever find the truth on social media or on, on the radio? 1-800. Thank you, Marshall McLuhan. 1-800-795-9565. 
When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. One eight hundred seven nine five nine five six five. The telephone number one eight hundred seven nine five nine five six five. You can email us at onthemarket at kok.com, and you can text us at seven zero two three six. Still reviewing uh, Dr. Laura Putnam's. Uh, call to our studios talking about the Black Lives Matter movements around the nation and the January 6th riot and the attack on the Capitol. Still talking about that and do you, are you going to elaborate? Or no, I was you, waiting you, for you, you to... You have that. I'm going to blurt this out now. Look. No, I'm sorry. Okay. I was. I didn't know whether you were looking for me to read the email or whether we're going to talk to Lance. And we've decided by you pushing the button that we're going to talk to Lance. Lance, you're on the mark. He's right. Okay, well, I have something else to talk about, but um, you were... Um, call-in guest there a little bit ago. Anyway, uh, she um, has... You take the summer of burning, looting, mayhem, and killing and dismiss it as periodic vandalism. <laughs> and then the probably the stupidest afternoon in American history elevates that to an organized insurrection. I, mean, I guess that's typical liberal, though. I mean, you think about it. I mean, it's just there. What, well, what, it, it ain't coming from the right, I'll tell you that. Did you <laughs> did you see the protests in, the several protests in Sunbury last summer? And, the you know, the rioting and the vandalism and, and the looting. Did you notice that? No, no okay, yeah, I guess it didn't happen. How about Milton? Yeah, well, Milton had about five rallies, thanks to a great grass But on the contrary, groups, groups this up there. Be, but well, wait, well, no, no, no light looting or vandalism. Well, while you're well on let's the go phone, to Mifflinburg. Yeah, they yeah, had two or three. While you're on the phone, this is an email from uh, one of our listeners who apparently is on the left. She says, someone doesn't know what he is talking about. Dr. Putman spoke about the thousands of BLM-related demonstrations last summer. Almost all of them were peaceful and nonviolent. I participated in this is our writer speaking, in several local BLM demonstrations, and we were met by armed counter-protesters in Mifflinburg, Milton, Williamsport, and Lockhaven. The wannabe militiamen were the ones threatening violence toward us because we dared to say Black Lives Matter. That seems to have triggered some fragile white people with anger issues. So, I'm, thing, no, it says, what are the mayor's thoughts on white dudes using guns to threaten free speech protesters? Odd that that didn't make any of the news headlines. I didn't hear that reported either, did you? 
Um, Mark? I saw that there were people armed there dressed. Protest, uh, armed counter-protesters who threatened people? I saw that there were people there dressed in the, you know, it looks like, uh, I don't know what to call it, sort of the SWAT outfits where you wear a vest and a flak jacket and the knee pads but and threatening a side people arm. with arms is a crime, and nobody was arrested for that that I'm aware of, are you? Uh, there was some pushback against some individuals for who were counter-protesters. I'd have to go back and look it up. But I, I, I will trust the eyewitness who was there. She saw it. I didn't. I wasn't there. I mean, I, I passed through all, um, you know, almost all the ones that were held around here I visited. And well, needless to say, if someone did threaten them with a gun, they should have been arrested and prosecuted. But my point is that there were no arrests or prosecutions for threatening people with guns at these BLM protests around here that I ever heard of. Lance. Anyhow, Lance, go ahead. It ties into what you're saying. Okay. Well, that's uh, basically what I called about. But also here when we talk about uh, religion and uh, its uh, place and all that stuff, well, no one likes to be proselytized. Keep your religion to yourself and don't hit me over the head with it. However, the um, gay community seems to be able to hit you over the head with their sexuality and uh, seems to think that's uh, just fine. And don't you think that both of us should keep our religion and our sexuality to ourselves? Is it possible that's just your perception? I mean, we hear that a lot, that uh, somebody, you know, you fill in the blank, is shoving it down our throats. But that's not because they're shoving it down your throat. It's because you just don't like that message. Is your bias against that message part of the issue? Well, okay, they're biased against religion, right? They're atheists. They think we're a bunch of delusional morons. Well, that's not exactly the the point that I would make. What I'm saying, Lance, and I think what, what Mark would agree with me on, is that religion, there is no... There is no definitive answer in religion other than the people who believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the ultimate answer for everything. Praying to him, acknowledging him, uh, following him, that's going to solve the world's problems. So with those people, there's no debate about that. You know, we can't say, and I'm not going to say on the air, well, I disagree. I think Jesus was a fake. I don't. I follow. I, you know, I believe. I go to church regularly. But that's not, that's not the same thing as a social issue where someone uh, attempting to use a restroom who maybe doesn't genetically fit that restroom, that's a, that's a public issue. You know, that's not, a, that's not a private issue. That's a public issue. And I think that's where sexuality enters into our discussions, when it becomes a public issue. Or social now, media is bigger than just a private company. And we discuss religion when there is a story in the news where someone's religious rights are threatened, where someone's, uh, uh, you know, made an effort firebombing a church or putting a bomb in a church or the war on Christmas, as we talk about every year. Those are topics that, that reflect on society as a whole whether or not it's a religious component. Yeah, well, you know, though, even if you didn't believe in God, our Bible is a very, very good book. Matter of fact, one of the um, most famous atheists in our history was Albert Einstein, and on his desk he had a copy of the King James Bible that he looked to, he said, for wisdom and guidance. Because of all the stories in there, there can be similes and metaphors for, you know, our life today. And even if you used it as that, it's quite valuable, don't you think? Well, they also used it in the writing of the TV show about uh, Mayberry RFD. A lot of the stories were biblical, uh, right. biblical um, 
uh, what do I want to say, biblical stories that were uh, played out dramatically in modern oh, yeah. day. All right, thank you so much, Lance. Thanks for checking in. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, Dick, next up on the mark, go right ahead. Well, in, you know, in reply to Joe, I'm just looking here. June the 28th, 2020, there was an armed, armed uh, protesters and Black Lives Matter for three hours in Watsontown. There's a photo of the guy with the, with the holster on his hip. But was they had he a three-hour confrontation over a, a, a protest. Was he arrested for threatening and then, anybody? And there were armed, there were armed protests, armed people there on one side, and Black Lives Matter people on the other side. But were they were they arrested for threatening the people with the guns, which is what I our writer the, claims? I don't, know, I don't know that anybody was arrested. I'm just telling you that there were armed people at that protest, and the, the protest lasted for three hours. Well, I'm I, just I, reading it right here. Not Two hundred protesters gathered, Maine and Brimmer, and then in one side there was armed. Most of those spectators were armed with handguns and holsters. One protester also wore a holstered hand, handgun. I'm just telling you that it did right. happen and I'm not in Watchingtown. Whether it happened in Mifflinburg or Detroit or someplace, I can't tell you that. I'm reading it out of the paper. Nobody said that it didn't happen. They, they claimed, the writer claimed, that they were threatened by people with those weapons, and I'm saying well, that wasn't this, reported. They had, a, they had a shouting match and stuff, so obviously there were guys across the seat yelling, and, and we have to, and I'm, I'm, when, when one side's with guns or yelling at other people, that's a threat in the sense. But they weren't arrested for it, and they didn't exactly threaten them with the weapons. The fact that I have a weapon isn't necessarily threatening. If I just wear it, you're allowed to display a hand or wear a uh, open carry. So, so, so you have no problem with guys bringing a, a holstered weapon to a protest on one side, and the other people are standing there with no no weapons. You, are you okay with that? The people on the other side had every right to bring a weapon if they wanted one. They if did they, bring them. That they, was they the whole thing. But, but, you know, they... they and and, and in, in, relation, in relation to Mark, you know, he wants everybody to be armed. You know what? I've seen, in the last two weeks, I've seen where little kids were shot. Little kids. Innocent kids were shot because somebody carried a damn gun to a, an event. Are you saying my idea is cockamamie? I think it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I watched uh, gun smoke in those. And people shot, back in the Old West, they shot people every day, all day long because everybody wore a damn gun. It didn't prevent people from shooting each other either. Mm. <laughs> I've seen movies where it did, but that's another topic. Well, my only point was, my only point, and I can't tell you how many times in the last couple of weeks, but out in California, the kid, the lady taking her son to school, was the innocent kid was shot. There was one in Florida last week where the innocent kid was shot. Yeah. Minding his own business with his, with his mother, and somebody had a gun and ran, shot at random and killed an innocent. And somebody in Detroit last week, too, the same thing happened. So, you know, if everybody carries a gun, I guess, I guess nobody will ever get shot, according to you. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate the call, Dick. Thanks well, for thanks, checking Dick. in. Take care. Thank you, sir. All right. Goodbye, you guys. All right, I'll say it for him. All right, uh, good morning, everybody, and thank you so much for listening to On the Mark. We're at the halfway point, so we're going to kind of reset the show here, and we invite you to call us now on these important topics. Uh, we had Dr. Laura Putnam on first, but we would invite you to call in about any of the topics we've discussed lately. Lawrence's cockamamie idea of arming everyone uh, has just come up. Uh, we're talking about social media. Should it be regulated in some way, or if it is just going to stay as a private company, uh, should they put all of points on there, like President Trump's, for example. Should he be able to lie on social media if he so chooses? A lot of people put that on social media, you know, their opinions, which might not be verifiable, but uh, he crossed the line, uh, I guess because of uh, insurrective remarks. But uh, we would invite you to weigh in on that topic as well. 1-800-795-9565. We invite you to do what I've done. Go to sunburymotors.com. I ordered an F-150, but you can order a Ford, a Mustang, or a Bronco, or 
an explorer or expedition or an escape or an edge or whichever vehicle you want. Same story with a Hyundai Sonata or whichever vehicle you want. The Kia Telluride is going to be, I have one of those on order too. So when they get to the place, they'll get to sell them at the Sunbury Motor Company. So do as I've done. Go to sunburymotors.com. Then do as I've done. Go to the North 4th Street Shopping Plaza. Talk to uh, folks down there uh, who would be willing to help you, like Jeff Clock, or uh, go over to the Kia dealership, Ernie in Austin, or plugging away over there, and they're shining up windows and polishing cars and making sure that everything looks great when you arrive at the Sunbury Motor Company, sunburymotors.com. All right, we need about a half a dozen best of shows for next week, so participate, folks. Give us a call now. Lines are lit up, so we're good to go in that regard. We could use some more emails. Email us at onthemarketwkok.com. Let's go right to the phones. Paul, you are next from Berwick, PA. Go right ahead. Yes, good morning, man. Uh, I want to call to wish you a happy 4th of July, and because uh, I know, like, Joe won't be there on Friday and so forth. And uh, I would encourage everybody to read the Declaration of Independence again. And uh, we often have discussions about American values, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, all men are created equal. Uh, But if you read through the Declaration, you'll find that those wonderful 56 signers uh, left us with these thoughts. God is our creator, God is our judge, and God is our trust. The, uh, The rights and so forth, when they said all men are created equal, so forth that they base that and uh, um, uh, and um, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That those are rights that came from the Creator. Then, when they discussed why they were going to war, they felt that it was a just war, and they appealed to the supreme judge of the world. And I would say in your discussion here that everybody that gets on Facebook and all that we speak, we ought to follow the example of the 56 uh, uh, signers of the Declaration. That in our conscience, what we say and the way we conduct ourselves. Uh, we, we should be uh, justified in what we do be, by our conscience be, before the supreme judge of the world. That's the way they did. And then finally, that uh, they closed it with a firm reliance upon divine providence. And that, I would contend, is the basis for the motto, In God We Trust. And uh, um, Francis Scott Key agreed with that when he wrote in 1814, the Star-Spangled Banner, the last verse of the Star-Spangled Banner, he says that the motto is uh, uh, in God is our trust, but uh, uh, this is uh, this is uh, um, the way I, the the way I, I I see American American values, and certainly when the Constitution was written, there's no religious test. But this is the example of the people that founded this country and incorporated these 13 states into one federal republic. Okay, hey, you have a happy Fourth of July too, Paul. Appreciate your call. Okay. Take care. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, that puts Jim on the air from Shemokin. Good morning, sir. You're on Good the mark. Good morning, Mark and Joe. Hi, Jim. And I hope uh, both of you have a good 4th of July and a safe 4th of July. And that, Mark, I have a question for you. How are you going to straighten out Chicago with the guns? Because these blacks just uh, can't seem to get it in the head, in their head. You just can't go out shooting uh, everybody or anybody because they have a uh, an argument. I think I heard over the weekend, 18 was shot on Sunday, and almost 50 or 60 was shot during the weekend. And that. 
Yeah, and many uh, many of them are, are gang and drug related, and unfortunately, many of them are minorities who are involved in these shootings. Not exclusively, but in a large proportion, according to the reports I've seen in the media. But you know, there obviously has to be some kind of way to counsel these young people. But I don't think it's to defund the police. I don't think that's the answer. I don't. I think the police need to be increased because they're not social workers, but you know, still, there should be some diversionary programs for young people so that they have some other option than getting a gun and going out and using it. Well, and in answer to your question, really, Lawrence's worthless view from Marktopia is that this has to be solved from uh, the Gra- the ground, you know, from the ground up, uh, from uh, birth to death, the, you know, to start out with how families are supported in the community, how discrimination is happening in the community, if that's a factor in it, how poverty is a significant impact in the stressors that are on the lives there, how law enforcement may be behaving now, should that be examined? And the answer could very well be no way. You know, the law enforcement's doing the perfect thing. Okay, so that's great. Is there more training? Is there more social work? Is there there more community policing? Is there more help? You know, I, I, I think if you have a whole society that's coming unraveled and you say, okay, well, we'll call the police. They'll settle this. Well, the police are just uh, a stopgap measure. You have a whole society community issue that is struggling and suffering with individuals who are um, just really uh, without resources or without uh, options. You think that's the reason they chose a life of crime? I th- well, some people are just going to choose that life. You are very insightful. You tell us why individuals in Chicago are behaving the way they are. I think it's because of their their temperament, what they believe, what they've grown up with. I agree with you on that. They've grown up in a, in a in where violence is acceptable. And I think every weekend where there are 30, 40 more people shot, 8, 10, 12 more killed, people become more desensitized to the violence and view it as an acceptable means of settling differences until we break that cycle. And I don't know that that can be done with all touchy-feely good liberal programs like we throw a zillion dollars at it to find them something diversionary. But I do think that, you know, adequate police protection, taking away their opportunities to commit those crimes by having an aggressive police presence is more the answer than the other. All right. Joe and I just uh, said exactly the same thing with different adjectives. What's your view, Jim? What we, what should we do? <laughs> well, I love when Biden says about this and that with guns. I have owned a gun since about 1957, one, uh, one or another pistol, rifle, or shotgun. I've never thought about shooting anybody. I did work for Cole Township Municipality, I was friends with most police up here, and that, and my nephew is even a sergeant with the state police, and uh, when I ask him, he says, Uncle Jim, he says, I don't want to get into that, and uh, he's in the Harrisburg uh, uh, regiment, and that, and uh, to me, Mark, I think Biden is going at this all wrong or something, and uh when Tom was saying about $15 an hour yesterday, when I was working for Cole Township Municipality, I was getting $7.67 an hour for operating big payloaders during the winter and in snow, slush, freezing rain, and everything else. And you can only do so much. And uh, 
to me, Mark, I don't know what else to say. All right, we, we have to move on, too, so that's a perfect stepping-off <laughs> point. Thank you so Thanks, much, Jim. Jim. Really appreciate oh, thank the you. call. Thank you. Take care. Thank you, sir. All right, quickie break. We'll be back. we got our callers lined up for the rest of the show. We'll be right back. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. All right, one of our listeners sends us a note. Lance only gets one. All right. Uh, one of our listeners sends us a note. Joe, read the caption. Said, this is a photo of counter-protesters at last year's BLM protest in Williamsport. What would Joe do if these guys showed up to a borough meeting like this? And uh, they were quite openly carrying uh, firearms. I can't tell what firearms. The one looks fairly substantial. But they're not illegal. And unless you have a policy of no firearms in your building... I wouldn't. I would. You wouldn't think, do anything. Okay, you'd no. be happy to see them. Well, I would want to know why they were there and why they felt compelled to carry the weapons, but I wouldn't necessarily feel threatened. All right, uh, we'll start out with Chris, a first-time caller on today's program. Chris, go right ahead. You're on the mark. Yeah. Well, first of all, to the, con- the Declaration of Independence guy, I'll just uh, won't nitpick his comments there, but I will say that the Constitution by which they founded the country and made the rules for the country, there is no God in it. Uh, Two things... So what is divine providence if it isn't God, just out of curiosity? Divine providence is the Declaration of Independence, not the Constitution. I know, but I'm asking you, he was talking about, he said, re-read it. Well, it's not any particular religion. No, I agree with you. But it it does imply that there is a greater power, does it not? Yes, and they were talking and signing, and those people believed it, but that doesn't mean it's necessary. It starts out in the course of human events, not in the course of divinely guided events. Okay, fair enough. All right. Uh, now then, uh, two, two things I'd like to get to besides that, if possible. Uh, two minutes. Uh, two minutes. Uh, if you bring a gun to a public protest, you are trying to be intimidating, and that's almost threatening, and maybe more. They also, if you're if you're carrying uh, concealed cover carrying and have a permit, if you tell somebody when you're talking to them, look, I have a gun, you can be arrested for. That's often interpreted as a threat, and I think it even is against the rules of carrying concealed that you're in violation of. So it's hard to see why just carrying it publicly doesn't sort of meet the same criteria in some way, even though legally you can get away with it. You are trying to be intimidating. You are being threatening. 
Okay. What else? Uh, the more of the free speech thing. Uh, that's really interesting uh, where you draw the boundaries. But there is, if, if you try to make Facebook a public thing that has to print everything, then you're not doing what traditional newspapers done, traditional organs of free speech, where you're not forced to publish anything. You choose, you choose what's responsible speech and what's not. And private companies have always done that. And they do not want their creations used to disseminate false information. And who's so you, who, who determines what's, moderator. Who determines what's false? There has to be one in Cr- some cases. Chris, who determines what's false? That's the question I'm asking. Which, who among us is going to determine? Well, it's not determining what they think is false. And that's the people who think that their, uh, their uh, creation, newspaper, disseminator of information, disseminator of talk, is doing something bad to the country and is false and they don't want to be a part of it, and they get to choose, just like a newspaper did. All right, we have to move on to the next caller. all letters to the editors. All right, thank they, you so much, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Which one's the French? Now, the Williamsport no, no, Gazette no, 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 not, not now anything. But okay, the Daily thank Ar- you, thank you, thank you. Sorry to do that. Uh, Lance, you get 60 seconds. Go right ahead. Okay. Why, well, you're going to say, here he goes again. But uh, <laughs> if, every day... Does this relate to drunk driving? Yeah, well, okay, sort of. Um, every day, seven under 21 years old human beings are killed with a gun, either, you know, crossfire or whatever, okay? And every day, 12 under 21 die one way or another from alcohol. Okay. So if you take a look, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms... Which one is the worst? Of course, it's tobacco. The next one, of course, is alcohol. The last is firearms. But to hear people talk, you know, it's all good, all the guns. So, all right. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, sir. Yep, appreciate the call. Yep. Cindy, last caller of the day. Go you get the last right three ahead. minutes. <laughs> First, I want to say, let's be mindful of the fact that but for free speech and the dissenting opinion, this country wouldn't exist. The, the people who stood up against the king were the dissenters. The loyalists didn't like anything they had to say. Now, their method of, of sharing what they thought was to post broadsides, big uh, poster kind of things, in the public square. Uh, and that's a physical place that the town was built around. We don't have so much that public square kind of phenomenon anymore, although when you walk out of some grocery stores, there's a big poster area that you can post things. But So does this then call for the creation of just such a thing, where people can freely post their opinions? Let me remind you, but for that, Thomas Paine would have been silenced. You know, John Adams describes him as the Washington of the conscience of the revolution. The things that Paine wrote galvanized the people of this country, that the colonies, to stand up against the king and the powers who be that were residing in this country. So to, I understand that there are people who don't like to hear an opposing opinion to what they believe. I get that. 
Um, and, and, I, and there are times that I hear things on this show and in other forums, and I don't like what I hear, but I, I resist wholeheartedly the urge to silence those people for two reasons. One, because I license them to silence me. And that's the most important one. If you believe you have the right to shut up Cindy O'Hora because you don't like what she has to say, then you also give her permission, me, to shut you up. And are you willing to accept, then, this battle of silence? I, I think that's unacceptable. We'll never move forward as a country. We'll never grow as individuals if we can't share our beliefs, regardless of whether they are the same or different. The other thing I wanted to say was that uh, for those people who call in with their perspective, which is largely based on their faith, you might want to consider this. For people who don't share your faith, when you do that, it sounds like what, I, what you believe is wrong, that, that you are trivializing them, and that uh, dismissing them. So if your goal is to get them to join your faith, treating them in such a fashion is not going to be successful. So you're Thank saying you, gentlemen. taking the Bible, whacking people over the head, calling them dreadful queer sinners is not going to get You're never going to get me huh. to come that's, to your side with that's that weird. argument. That's never. my way or the highway. Right. Thank <laughs> right. you so much. Thanks. Thank, you. Thank, Thank you. you. Really appreciate the call. Tomorrow, Jeff McCausland is going to be on the first part of the show, and then we'll enjoy open phones. we got some emails we have to read on the radio tomorrow, and uh, we'll enjoy your call. This is WKOK Sunbury.